0: Now, to start off the new year, it's usually a time where a lot of people want a new, fresh start. New Year's resolutions are a popular thing that I'm sure many of us have done or maybe even are doing this year. Some of the most popular New Year's resolutions are things like exercising more and losing weight or getting organized, learning a new skill or spending more time with family and friends, living life to the fullest, saving more money, maybe stop smoking, maybe spend time uh, traveling, and maybe something as simple as reading more. Now, a couple years ago, I decided that, uh, that starting in the new year, I was going to read a minimum of a chapter of a book every single day. I wanted to start reading more, and I wanted to make reading a habit in my life. So I thought, if I began with reading a chapter a day, that would be a pretty good start well i made it all the way to january 2nd until i forgot to read a chapter i made it one full day before forgetting then i think about then then i think i read a chapter on the third and the fourth of january and then i forgot about for another week then i read a chapter the week after that then i forgot about it again right and the pattern continued until i gave up probably by february Now, every year, gyms across America see the same thing. Memberships are way up in January, and gyms are more crowded in the beginning of January, but as the weeks go on and people start to drop off, people's lives get in the way of their New Year's resolutions. Whether it is reading more or going to the gym more, getting organized, these resolutions will only actually work if we prioritize them and make the effort. In our passage today, we are going to be talking about counting the cost of discipleship, counting the cost of following Christ. Many of us will say that we want to follow Christ, and following Jesus is the most important thing in our life. But does our life back up what we are saying? Does our life back up what we say we believe? Where is our ultimate allegiance? So please turn with me to Luke 14, 25 to 35 for the passage that we are in today. Where we find ourselves in the book of Luke is in the middle of a lot of different teachings that Jesus has. Jesus was going to houses and synagogues. He was eating with people, healing people, and teaching on a bunch of different things. Now this specific passage is being taught to what we are told is this great crowd. People were gathering together. To see what Jesus had to say to them. So let's take a look at what Jesus said. Luke 14, 25 to 35 says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? Let him hear. (coughs) Excuse me. So this is where we're at. A ton of people want to hear from Jesus. They've been gathering for a little bit and starting to get anxious about what they are going to hear. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth in verse 26 is, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Ugh. Okay, uh, those are the very first words out of Jesus' mouth. Hey, all of you guys over there that you're listening to me, you want to follow me? Well, to do that, you have to hate everyone you love. These crowds had to have been shocked and probably a little disturbed. Usually when we see crowd of people, we think we need to do everything we can to keep that crowd. We need to cater to them and make sure that we don't upset them and make sure that they continue to come back. But when Jesus saw this, when he saw this crowd, he was skeptical. He said, hey, only follow me if you really, really mean it. He said, are you sure you are following the right guy here? Now, this idea of hating your mother and father and essentially everyone you love, it seems a little bit extreme, right? Jesus doesn't mean when you follow Jesus, you're going to absolutely despise and hate everyone. This is more of a hatred by comparison. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to put me so far above everything else. I should be so far above your husband or your wife or your mother or father that if we compare how much you love each other, the scale is going to be tilted way towards Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, I know your kids are really cute, but I am way up here. I am the creator of your children. I am who brought your children to this world. I am the creator of your spouse. I am the creator of you. I need to be that top priority. You know, I think we understand this list of priorities. Before I was married, I absolutely loved the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm pretty sure the year before I got married, I watched close to 75 to 82, uh, or 75 of the 82 regular season Bucks games. After I got married, I didn't care as much about the Bucks. I still really liked them and I watched a lot of games, but not as many. And then when my daughter Hadley was born, the games I watched went down even more. It wasn't that I stopped caring about the Bucks. I still really, really liked them. It was just that I had different priorities in my life. If I would have told a pre-married Matt that the Bucks were going to win the NBA Finals, that pre-married Matt probably would have assumed that I cried out of happiness the moment that they won. Instead, since my priorities shifted, when they won, I was happy, but I didn't cry. I was way more happy on my wedding day and on the day my daughter was born. By comparison, it may have looked like I hated the Bucks, but that's not the case. I still really like them. Now, Jesus here is making sure that these people are in the right place. He doesn't want disciples who will only give him half of them. He wants every bit of his disciples. Now, just in case this crowd was starting to think, you know, Jesus didn't really mean hate your own family. He was just kind of exaggerating about hating his family. He goes on to verse 27 and he says, (coughs) Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what does it mean to bear your cross? Well, it meant that you had to be willing to die. Jesus continuing on, he says, Hey, unless you're willing to come and die with me, don't bother following me. Now the cross at this time was a tool of execution. To that first century person, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. Death by the most painful and humiliating means a human could go through. So you want to pick up your cross? You want to potentially go through a humiliating and a painful death for Christ? It is only then that you can be my disciple. In 2021, we tend to kind of pretty up the word cross here. We think, well, Jesus didn't mean like a crucified cross. He meant like, are you willing to skip your lunch today? Or do you have to deal with this really difficult person at work? But we know that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying, I need to know that you are with me 100%. He needs to know if he picks up his cross that you are not going to leave his side. When things get difficult, are you going to bail? Imagine there are two crosses at the bottom of a hill, and you and Jesus are supposed to carry them up a hill where you will later die. Now Jesus shows up and is ready to carry his cross are you there next to him, walking up with him, walking up that hill with him, with your cross, towards your impending death? Or did you not show up and run away and abandon Jesus? Jesus wants that person who is not going to leave his side when life gets difficult. He wants the person who will put him number one no matter what. Now, if I told my wife that she was number one, but every free minute I had, I just did stuff I wanted, like go to Bucks games without her or play video games or go hang out with friends without her, would she really think that I meant it when I told her that she was number one in my life? She'd probably assume that I had other priorities that were more important than her. It is the same with our relationship with Christ. Do we say, Jesus, hey, you are number one in my life. But then at the same time, do we not spend any time with him? Do we say, well, tomorrow I will spend more time in prayer, or tomorrow I will read the Bible, or next week I will go to church again? Where we spend our time shows us what our priorities are. Now again, just in case these people were listening to Jesus and they were thinking, well, that's not actually what Jesus meant. He continues on in verse 28 to 30. So verse 28, it says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the costs, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus uses an illustration that we can all relate to here. We all at one time or another have uh, either seen or heard of a house or neighborhood or building that began to be built but then the contractor or construction firm or whatever went bankrupt and had to stop mid-build. Jesus was talking, was, he was looking at those buildings and he was saying, how foolish. Obviously you have to count the cost and see how much the project would cost you before you begin. Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want you to be like those builders. Think through what it may mean to follow me and assess the costs. Assess what you will have to do, what you will have to give up before you make this decision to follow me. Why would anyone want to build a tower halfway? Think back to those New Year's resolutions. We usually make those resolutions thinking that we will be doing those things all year. Rarely, rarely do we make a resolution with the intention of stopping in mid-March. Now, these resolutions, they can get hard. Life can get in the way. We can get busy. We might go on trips, go out of town, get lazy. Maybe just want to sleep in for a few hours. When we do that our resolutions most likely will start to fall by the wayside. The same is true with our relationship with Christ. I think back to when I would go to a uh, winter camp with my youth group when I was a student. I would come back home and I would be on fire for Jesus. I would say, I want to live for him. I want to tell everyone about him. But then I'd go to school on Monday and I'd get scared. And I went back to what I normally did and lived for myself rather than living for Jesus. I wouldn't actually count the cost. Now, following Jesus is not easy. There is a cost. People will question your faith. They will ridicule you. They may not respect your faith. Jesus didn't teach that if you follow Jesus, you will be healthy and wealthy and wise. Jesus said, actually, your life is probably going to get more difficult. You will be mocked and persecuted. You will lose family and friends because of your faith. You may lose all of your possessions. You may lose your job. Jesus said in Matthew 8:20 Foxes have holes and birds have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So remember this is some of the first stuff Jesus said to the crowd. He said unless you are willing to pick up your cross you cannot be a follower. He says you can lose your life your family you, you may hate your family may end up hating you. You may be homeless unless you are okay with those things you cannot be a follower of Jesus. Jesus was saying, we need to be counting the cost. We need to look at following Christ and be realistic about what that means. Jesus was honest. And this is hard to do, right? We want people we love and care about. Uh, We we don't want them to reject Jesus, right? We want to make following Jesus as easy as possible for people. We like to talk about the love and the grace that Christ showed us. And that is incredibly important. It really is. But we need to make sure that we don't tell them that they can just continue on sinning and just pray a prayer. Because once life, once their life gets difficult, and once following Christ gets difficult, we don't want them to walk away. Being a follower is not some New Year's resolution that you willingly break a couple months in. Following Jesus is the most important decision in your life. We must think about the ramifications of following Christ and be willing to deal with With them. So again, just in case these people were thinking, Well, are we sure that this is what Jesus is saying? We get to read on in verse 31 to 33. 31 says, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. Oh, we're not there yet. Cannot be my disciple. We'll get there. Now, Jesus is emphasizing, again, the importance of thinking ahead of time about what is going to happen. A king about to go to war has to think about if he truly wants to take these people to war with him. What king would see that he is outmatched by double the amount of troops and say, eh, you know, let's just wing it. I think if we try, we can really pull this off. That king would be foolish, and a wise king would think through what he is about to enter into. In Matthew 10, verse 18, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus over and over again says, Those who follow me You are outnumbered. You are outmanned. You are weak compared to the force of the world. You are sheep amongst wolves. You want to follow me? There are wolves out there, and you guys are just little sheep. The only way sheep can overtake wolves is if there is a good shepherd who's looking out for them. Jesus is asking his believers, are you sure you trust me as the good shepherd? You sure you want to follow Christ? Are you sure you want to go out amongst an army that is bigger than us? Thankfully, we have a good shepherd who will watch out for us and lead us. In the popular psalm, Psalm 23, David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Our good shepherd will lead us through any trial and promises that he will be there right next to us. So are you willing to lose your life for Christ? Are you willing to give up absolutely everything for Jesus? This is really tough, right? Some of us, we have a lot. In fact, most of us have a lot. Compared to the world and compared to all of history, we have more than most of the world. Now, my wife and I, we are renting an apartment near downtown Port Washington, and we absolutely love it. We, we can see a little bit of the lake from our living room. We are walking distance from Frankie's in the summer. We are uh, walking dis- distance to the harbor and other restaurants. We can walk on a Saturday and get some French bread from Daily Baking Company. We, we love it there. We actually love the apartment more than the house that we previously owned. So, am I willing to give that up for Christ? Now, I spent some time in India close to 10 years ago and it's almost easier for them to kind of get this. They may say, am I willing to leave this slum that I live in? It's like, well, yeah, I'll leave it. Anything is better than this slum that I have. But are you willing to leave what you have in Port Washington or Grafton or Sockville or Cedarburg or anywhere in Ozaukee County or wherever you may live? Are you willing to leave that? Are you willing to lose all that you have for Christ, your house, your possessions, your family? Are you ready to go up that hill with your cross? Are you ready to be mocked and made a fool of by the world? The reality is, it is harder to do this when you have more and more stuff. Jesus is saying, unless you're willing to renounce all that, all of that, if you're, unless you're willing to renounce all that you have, then you cannot follow me. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to sell literally everything we have. That's not what I'm saying. But if Jesus calls you to do that, are you willing to? Now, continuing on in the passage, we get to the last two verses in verse 34 to 35. And Jesus closes this passage by saying, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is where we're at. Jesus looked at the crowd and he says, I don't want you all. I want you to count the cost. I don't want to build a tower halfway and have you quit. I don't want you to go to war with you with a bunch of people who are not willing to die. Then he brings up salt. Now, salt is... Good. And in the first century, salt was incredibly important. It was a preservative and it was a seasoning. But imagine salt with no flavor. What good is that? Now, even dirt is good. Even manure is good for something. What if you put flavorless salt on manure? It would actually ruin the manure. That's how worthless flavorless salt is. If you don't have that that saltiness to to go all the way with me, Jesus says, you are worthless. You aren't even worthy to be thrown on the ground because you will screw up the dirt. You can't even be thrown on a pile of manure. Like If I had a pile of manure and you were standing on it and you didn't have any saltiness, I would say, get off my pile of manure. You are ruining it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, I need disciples. I don't need flavorless salt that is good for nothing. I don't need these little white pieces just kind of sitting there doing nothing. Jesus doesn't want people who are only going to go halfway with him. He doesn't want people who are going to retreat. Jesus is saying, we are going to this war. This isn't a social club where we just kind of meet once a week and catch up on our weeks. And then maybe we go golfing or something like that. Jesus was saying, we have been recruited like sheep amongst wolves. We have been recruited to go to war. Could you imagine if a soldier came back to his commanding officer and began complaining about the opposing side and said, you don't get it, they are shooting at me. I did not, I don't like this. The commanding officer wouldn't say, oh, you know, that wasn't supposed to happen. Your life was supposed to be easy as a soldier. You were supposed to have health and wealth and be really good all the time. No. No. Jesus is very serious here. He says, I am the Son of God. I am about to go to the cross pretty soon here. I just left everything behind. I came down from heaven where I was sitting at the right hand of God the Father. I left all that glory. I left literally everything behind. I had everything under my footstool. I came down to be with you for you. I came down to give you a way to spend eternity with me. I'm about to be nailed to a cross to pay for all of the sins of your life. Without me, you were headed for God's punishment for all of eternity. I came to save you from that. If you want to follow me, I will give you the power to do it. I will put my spirit in you. I will change you from the inside out. But you have to turn away from what you are doing. You have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. He says, I am going to die for you. And I will love you. I will love you like no one has ever loved you. I will be your good shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. And I won't won't just be your good shepherd for a few weeks or a few years, but for all of eternity. Jesus is saying, stop being afraid of all those who can destroy your flesh. What does it matter if someone destroys your flesh? Jesus has taken care of you for eternity. He has given us a way to spend eternity with Christ. So what does it matter if someone can destroy my flesh? Christ can redeem and save all of me. Jesus is so worth it. Following Jesus is not just a New Year's resolution that we can just drop by mid-January or February. Following Jesus is the most important thing in your entire life. Following Jesus takes us being willing to hate all of those people that we love by comparison to how much we love Jesus. It requires that we are willing to die for Christ. It it requires for us to count the cost and assess what following Christ means so that we don't forget about him once things get hard. This week and this entire year, let's remember that Christ wants all of us Christ gave up everything so that we can have everything. That truth should transform us and help us to not worry about the world and to focus on how we can live for the one who truly deserves it. Our good shepherd, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. You are so good to us. You gave up everything for us. Help us to live for you today. Help us to focus on, on you and to not forget about you by mid-January, or mid-February, even as we leave here today. Help us to dedicate our lives to you. Help us to live for you in everything that we do. Help us to count the cost and assess the, what it truly means to be your disciple. And Lord, I ask that you give us the strength to do that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.